automation is really the name of the game. Uh, when we think about uh, if we want a, a five nines availability, that means that we have uh, seconds to solve a problem during a month, minutes over a year. So if I have to log in to the system, to a server to solve a problem, that's it, that's already too long. Automation. Even if you're not in IT or working in the tech industry, it seems to be a conversation that's happening all the time. Some find the amount of disruption that comes along with it to be a bit scary. Others find automation to be fascinating, what with all the challenges and ethical issues that it brings. Regardless of your point of view, though, in IT, the fact is that automation is here to stay. So the real question is, where will it be going next? Hi, I'm Matt Eastwood, Senior VP of Enterprise IT Research at IDC, and I'm one of the hosts of Scaling AI Ops, Artificial Intelligence for IT Specialists and Business Outcomes, a joint venture between IDC and IBM. Joining me is Stephen Elliott, our analyst on the show and Group Vice President of INO, Cloud Operations and DevOps. In this, the third episode of our series, we're going to bring the conversation back full circle. We'll be talking about IBM's Watson AI Ops. Watson encompasses applications like Instana and Turbonomic from our previous episodes and brings it into one suite that IT professionals can use to advance their operations. But it goes beyond that to allow for proactive incident management to plan for bigger problems of the future. So we, we talk a lot about digital transformation and how this has continued to accelerate and it's driving what I like to describe as a continuum of applications uh, and data that stretches from the edge to the core. And we see businesses differentiating more and more with apps and data. And that means that the typical application portfolio is growing pretty quickly. And these applications are also highly interconnected and they're very data dependent. So Stephen, before we introduce our guest, Maybe it would be a good a good idea to get a little bit of a sense about automation. We're talking a lot about automation in this episode, and if you could give us a brief setup as to why it's so important these days, why we're talking more and more about automation. Well, I can tell you automation is such a hot topic, um, almost now more so than ever. Uh, in fact, in some recent IDC research, we predicted that by 2023, 75% of global 2000 IT organizations will adopt automated operational practices to transform their, their workforce and to support unprecedented scale. One other thing I'll mention, um, we're also seeing organizations put together different centers of excellence or sometimes called centers of enablement specific to automation or certainly you know cloud architects. And we're finding that this is becoming a, a, a central rallying point for best practices, for tool selection, for driving analytics, you know, tied to automated tasks more and more. So, you know, this theme of, of AI ops, this theme of really tying together automated decision-making with uh, great data and great sets of analytic models to drive some type of, in some cases, autonomous automation, or in other cases, the ability to automate certain pieces of a process to bring humans into the fold to help drive decision-making and then to move that process to some conclusion or some specific repeatable outcome. So now I'd like to bring in Robert Barron. He's been working at IBM for the better part of a decade and focuses on finding IT solutions for better architectures, for site reliability, and so much more. 
So let's let him say the rest. Be interesting to get a little bit of a sense of some of the things that interest you, you know, inside and outside of the company. So certainly, Matt, I'm very happy to be here. So one of my my big hobbies is the history of space exploration. Uh, the, the Apollo landings on the moon, the space shuttle, things like that. And I'm also very fortunate that this hobby is very much aligned with the concepts of operations and reliability. And things like the computer restarted seconds before Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. How did they handle that? All sorts of near disasters, the most famous, of course, being Apollo 13, which had an explosion tearing the spacecraft in half, halfway to the moon. And yet, thanks to the engineers on the ground, they managed to solve all their operational problems and bring the astronauts back safely. So I take all these concepts and I bring them together into lessons that are relevant to site reliability engineers today. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about our our industry and and where we've gone and what we've done and and the whole aspect of Mission Critical that came from what happened back in the the space race. So could you tell us a little bit more about Watson AI Ops and and what it does? Watson AI Ops is, is the name of the suite, the solution that IBM has for the whole domain of modern operations that use AI as a helper for the clients. Uh, it starts off with a component called Instana, which delivers the observability section. The next part of the puzzle is application resource management, which we have as a solution called Turbonomic. And what Turbonomic does, it uses artificial intelligence to understand all the costs, all the concepts, all the checks and balances between my different applications to maximize my resource usage, but in the context of what is best for my applications. The third part of the puzzle is really what we call Watson AI Ops, which is the development coming from two sides. The one side is our traditional operational solutions, which have been supercharged with extra AI. And the other side is the things that are coming out of IBM's research. The same concepts that started off, if you may remember, a deep blue chess computer beating Kasparov. Checkmate. Uh, Watson came to the came to public consciousness when it uh, won Jeopardy. To Watson, who is Bram Stoker and the wager. Hello, seventeen thousand nine hundred seventy-three, and a two-day total of seventy-seven thousand. And then went on to do a lot of other AI solutions, such as uh, health detecting cancer. Uh, and so on. So what we did was we took the generic concepts of universal AI that had been developed for Watson, taking all these things into the operational domain. So any new concept that comes up, any new data source that we might find, uh, which we want to plug into Watson AI Ops, the underlying system is ready for it and will get the most benefit out of this uh, new integration. So IBM really saw the problem that was coming at a lot of organizations, which is really this this rapid growth in, in apps and data and, and how to essentially enable the the, uh, the automation around that so people could scale uh, in, in ways that probably have never had to even think about scaling before. So what did you see that, that set up this conversation around AI ops and Watson AI ops in particular? So it's not just the, the amount of the data that are unprecedented. It's also the 
the collaboration of the, of the data or breaking down the silos. Because often if you have an application problem or middleware problem, then the solution can be found in the networking data or in the hardware data. But this was never made available in a timely manner to the teams that were investigating the application problem. As soon as you have the AI saying, I'm sitting in the middle collecting information from everyone and understanding the insights, then you have a lot more collaboration between the different teams. They're breaking down the silos, helping people work better together, where every success leads to people saying, I'm going to feed the Watson with more information, more data, and then it's going to find out, uh, it's going to detect more problems even earlier. So one of the things that's come out of this, this pandemic that we're living through has really been the awareness around the importance of resiliency. And, and I know we've, we've touched on this emergence of site reliability engineers, this revolution that's happening. And I'm wondering if you could just describe a little bit for us what some, again, some of the biggest challenges that people are facing and, and how SREs came to be. SREs came to be, um, the first started off in Google where they realized that they were scaling their software at a rate much higher than they could scale the humans who were dealing with the software. And they decided that the solution here was automation. They needed to start getting software engineers to do operational tasks in a way which would be repeatable, scalable, and they could reuse it in other organizations. And a lot of people say that automation is the hallmark of a good site reliability engineer. And that's very true. But I also think that a big difference between a site reliability engineer and an operator or a sysadmin or a systems engineer is the responsibility to the application or the service. And here we see a big challenge with developers for sharing this responsibility and line of business owners who have to say, wait, I need my functional features from the developers, but I'm also getting a lot of non-functional information about the reliability, the resilience, the performance of the application from the site reliability engineer. And we see more and more as SRE organizations mature, the backlog or the tasks that they're giving the application start being merged with the functional requirements or the new features that the developers are, are developing. So I'd like to build on, on what you're saying here, Robert. I want to bring Stephen back into the conversation. And Stephen, I'm hoping you could bring a little bit more of the business perspective to the modern day SRE. You know, what's the sweet spot in defining some of the value here? How, how are businesses thinking about the value associated with an SRE to, to the business itself? Yeah, no, it's, it's been a fascinating journey, particularly the past couple of years around site reliability engineering. And from a business context, SREs are increasingly creating what's called an error budget. We're finding that these error budgets, there, there's no one number, right? So in other words, the error budget is really essentially the budget that's required for the expected level of system reliability that a customer is happy about. Because as we all know, generally for most of us, we have about two seconds worth of patience on an app. And if it's not working, we're gone. <laughs> so now we're finding because of, of you know, the customer engagement models have gone digital for almost every business. You know, system reliability is, is absolutely critical to customer experience and a happy customer. Can I expand with an example I, I often use? 
exactly on the Stevens points. I was talking to someone who worked in a bank, and he said, 15 year, 10, 15 years ago, the primary clients of my systems were the bank tellers. So a bank teller works nine to five. So I have all the time in the world in the evening to do my maintenance, my shutdowns, my upgrades. Now I have an error budget of over 50% because the bank is not open 24 hours a day. And if the system is a little bit slow, it takes 10 seconds, 15 seconds to start up in the morning, the bank teller's going to complain, but he's not going to do anything with this complaint. They're not going to quit because the system is 10 seconds slow. But now the same system, the primary client, is the mobile client. So I have millions of customers and they demand the system to be available 24 seven. I don't no longer have my after five o'clock in the afternoon. I no longer have my weekends for maintenance. And if it takes 30 seconds to open, well, they're gonna close their account and move to another bank. So technically I'm doing the same, but my availability and performance requirements, my error budget has completely changed. There's so much I find interesting in the story of Watson AI Ops, but what we really want to accomplish in this episode, and this whole series really, is to give you information that you can work with and put in your tool belt as you go forward in the world of IT operations. You're listening to Scaling AI Ops, a podcast by IDC and IBM for industry leaders and professionals to better understand how AI is reshaping the world around us. Again, I'm your host, Matt Eastwood, along with my co-host, Stephen Elliott. This is our third episode in Scaling AI Ops, and we hope that you've learned a lot on this journey. But if you're just joining us on this episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen to our other two episodes. In one, we discuss automation and rapid decision-making. And in the other, we talk resource optimization. If you've already heard those, thank you for following along with us so far. You know, if I think about a successful digital transformation, one of the things that allows businesses to do is to go from a more reactive state to a more proactive state, which is, I think, what you're really, really getting at there. So the conversation around automation in proactive AI ops, I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about that. And Robert, if you could describe some of the levels of automation that Watson AI ops offers and even the, the role that incident management can play in this. So uh, automation is really the name of the game. So I need Watson AI Ops to understand the problem, alert me well before the client is going to feel it so that I can solve the problem, and to, if the problem can't be avoided, to trigger an automated solution that's going to happen behind the scenes without waiting for a human. And each of these is a different type of automation, working on a different aspect of or different AI model. One of the newest features of Watson AI Ops is going over change records and, and understanding which of these changes caused the problem. And then when we have a new change, we can come up to the, to the people who want to make this deployment change and say, look, you made this similar change in the past and caused this problem. So we're going to raise a red flag to tell you that if you do this again, change the same system in the same way, there's a high risk. So Watson Apps is not just solving problems faster, but helping you avoid the, the cause of the problem in the first place. Where I'd like to go next is to talk a little bit about scalability of AI. And, and Stephen, could you describe for us 
really the demand for automation today and the need to scale it for the future. A little bit of perspective there might help. Yeah, sure. Yeah, many of the IT organizations we advise, are, especially as it relates to automation and AI ops, they are really looking at things such as event noise reduction, um, anomaly detection for root cause analysis. They're looking at predictive capacity insights. They're looking at, you know, unified visualization and, and causation correlation. And then, of course, also, you know, lean forward organizations are, are looking at, you know, AI driven closed loop automation. And so when you think about AI ops and, and the role of automation, they really, you know, go hand in hand. And we're finding that organizations, as they get more comfortable with the idea of, you know, what do different analytic models bring to their problem or use case? And then certainly, what are the processes that they want to have a direct impact on automating? Um, and so, you know, all the different types of, of analytics really do have a, a specific um, driver, you know, a specific impact on those benefits and mapping that to the specific processes uh, and having that tight use case definition really helps drive success, not only in measuring where you are today and baselining it, but you know, measuring the success engaging of, of these projects moving forward so that you can continue to expand out the impact uh, zone and, and drive you know, real business and technical benefits you know, over the course of multiple years. So as Stephen, you touched on this with the, um, when we start talking about automation, we immediately start to touch on people and process. And that's really a, a driver, but it's also sometimes a, a bit of an inhibitor sometimes when people really think about change and change management. So Robert, if we could go over a little bit what Stephen's talking about in terms of the need for scale uh, in the future when we're using AI, I think I'd love to get you to talk a little bit about how organizations are happy to adopt more automation or maybe where they're a bit more reluctant. You know, what would you say to them? How do you get them to really separate some of the challenges of making those changes in people and process for the sake of, of kind of moving forward with, with the technology and with the business? Okay, that's, that's an excellent question. Right? It's always the technology is the easy side. It's always the humans and the culture that's the, the difficult thing. And, and while the answer to the technology is scale, the answer to the human side is often the exact opposite, the quick win. You come in and you say, you don't need the whole big gorilla. You can start off with something small that will just showcase the capabilities of, a, of AI in a specific little corner. Let's take one specific model like, uh, like metrics anomaly or event grouping or using a topology to find the blast radius of a, of a problem. Let's take this little quick win, implement it on one application, and then we'll show you that it works and we'll show you the benefit. And what happens is that often there's, there's an avalanche effect, a snowball effect, because the operators will say, oh, gee, this AI system both solved a problem for me, and it was actually much easier to use than I thought. And now I can start maybe customizing it, and I can add my own concept and my own ideas, because a lot of these more modern solutions, Watson AI Ops uh, and Instana and Turbonomics certainly, are much more customizable and friendly to the end user 
than some of the old monolithic uh, monitoring solutions used to be. Because now, as we have more automation, the system is becoming more stable because things are becoming more repeatable and you have less anomalies that are that are because humans were working in a different way. So there's some really great context there, Robert. I'm going to ask, um, I want to really build on the importance of leadership in this, in this co- overall conversation around um, proactive AI ops. Robert, any thoughts on, and from your perspective on, on leadership and, and really how to drive this, this vision and mission forward? I'm going to start by going back to the to the KPIs, and there's something that is almost uh, Kafkaesque in AI metrics. Because if we look at the, the the metric everyone talks about is mean time to repair, but what does what is the AI promise? The AI promise is I'm going to be able to solve all the simple problems automatically, make them go away. So ironically. The meantime to repair is going to go up because all the simple things are going to go away, won't even feature in our numbers. And the only thing that remains will be the ones that we have to actually uh, think about a lot to, to figure out. So a big part of leadership here is to understand that metrics are very important, but you have to understand the reasons behind these metrics. And if at the end of the month, the only thing that interests you is meantime to repair, and how it changed, and number of incidents, and how it changed, then at some point when you're adopting site reliability engineering and when you're adopting AI ops, you're going to see these numbers moving in the opposite direction of what you expect, but for very good reasons. And leadership has to be strong enough to say, I understand why this is happening, and I'm happy with this, and we're going to go continue till the numbers change in the way that I do want because uh, it's just a temporary shift in the paradigm of what these numbers are representing. That's really well said, Robert. I think we're, I'd like to close out this conversation. I'm going to start with you, Robert, and then I'll come back t- uh, to Stephen, is with a, just a view to the future. If you could um, both really just take a, take a, a swag or, or, or a, provide a little bit of perspective on uh, where do you think we go next? What's the future of AI ops in IT? So I, I hope to a certain extent, actually perversely perhaps, that the AI goes away. That it's just, you know, this is the way we do it. Like, we no longer say digital computers. We just say computers. So AI needs to be part of operations. It needs to... Uh, all, all the things that are trivial to, to the computer just have to be raised up, bubbled up as insights to humans to make the difficult decisions. And these decisions should should as much as possible be the operational ones and not the technical ones. Uh, too often I see, yes, the AI is recommending that we do this, that, or the other. Okay, so why is it recommending? Just go and do it. I'm not going to waste half an hour figuring out whether the recommendation is, is the right one or not. Let the AI do whatever it wants to do to solve the problem and then come back to me telling me no we tried this it didn't work we tried this it didn't work now it's up to you the human to think about the new things yeah i think i think one point is just continued acceleration of adoption of ai ops um we're going to find it really becoming more and more of of, um, a necessary set of capabilities to to drive that particular business outcome uh, that these organizations require 
I think the second piece is that we're going to find more data sources um, coming into the fray where uh, not just operational data or application data, but you know, certain types of, of business data. Um, maybe it's weather information, maybe it's supply chain, maybe it's trucking, right? There's just so many information sources that are going to come into these models and they're going to play a role in, in really driving that tighter alignment between you know what the business is experiencing how the digital services are, are driving that and you know if there's a particular problem across that that end-to-end um, stack you know where is it and, and who needs to be um, identified and brought into the fray so you know we're going to see a, a compression of, of people process technology uh, business sources and, and processes come together uh, even more so than we probably ever have in the past. So I think that's a perfect place to, to leave this conversation. So I want to thank you, Robert and Stephen, for, uh, for both joining us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you for listening to our show, Scaling AI Ops, Artificial Intelligence for IT Specialists for Business Outcomes. Be sure to go back and listen to any of our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Our aim here is to provide useful information for IT professionals. The information we touched upon in this series is only the beginning of the capabilities and conversation around AI ops and the future of IT. If you want to learn more, then I suggest you have a look at some of the research we've done at idc.com. I've been your host, Matt Eastwood. And I'm Stephen Elliott. And thank you for listening to Scaling AI Ops, a joint venture between IBM and IDC with production support from JAR Audio. It's been a pleasure to have you all listen in. Take care.